Now, what's interesting was this land was going to be developed that uh, was adjacent to the Skudik Woods section of Acadia National Park, which is further north than the Mount Desert Island section. So this land was going to be developed. They were, I don't know, put condos there, whatever it was. And some private citizen bought the land, built the campground, and then handed it over and donated it to the National Park Service. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next? And Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks. This season, we are back with a brand new RV and brand new adventures. Join us now as we cover the best campgrounds, the best rigs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go. So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire. This is the RV Atlas. Hello, Carrie Cox, and welcome to the RV Atlas. It's so good to see your smiling face and have you back on the show. It's been too long. How are you? I'm doing great. We're getting ready for that summer RV trip planning and um, all of that good stuff. And didn't Birdie undergo some some major work related to the roof? Yeah, we had to get a total roof replacement. We had somehow snagged some branches and um, went through the insurance process, got the roof repaired. So we're eager to uh, try her out. If you're a new listener, you want to check out Carrie's blog, travelswithbirdie.com. She's a terrific writer. And follow her on social media at Travels with Birdie. I'm really excited for today's topic, which is based on an article that you wrote for Campendium.com called Where to Find National Park Campgrounds with Hookups. You're actually tasked with an assignment to find all of the national parks campgrounds that have hookups. And there's not that many of them, right? Um, so That's right. in this episode, you're going to give us some tips for booking them, how to find them. And then you're actually going to walk through the list of all the national park campgrounds that either have water, electric, and sewer, or water and electric, or just electric. So Great. take notes, everybody listening. But Carrie, give us an overview, just, just give us a broad overview of the national park system when it comes to campgrounds, and then winnow it down to what we're covering today. For sure. So with our National Park Service, they have over 400 units. And a lot of times we just think of the national parks, but actually included in those units are things like the national memorials, lakeshores, battlefields. And of those 400, 130 have campgrounds on site. And then of those 400, 63 are what we consider the technical national parks. Like when you think of Yellowstone, Yosemite, all of those. And out of those 63, it's really surprising. Only 12 have any kind of RV hookups. And my family has not yet ventured into the whole boondocking realm. So we were really interested in seeing this for ourselves to know where we would be able to stay with our, uh, our glamping um, lifestyle. <laughs> You know, when we were new to RVing too, we, we started to do national park trips right away, but we'd always stay at a KOA or something because we wanted the full hookups right. outside of the park. You know, now that we've, we've had RVs that are equipped for boondocking, we've definitely done more venturing into the parks. Uh, but this is super useful information. Does it, is there any rhyme or reason as to why there are only 12 or why those 12 have hookups and the rest of them don't? Was there any pattern to this at all? Or does it, is it totally random which ones have hookups <laughs> right. and which don't? 
I really did not see any rhyme or reason um, in, in looking at these. It's, yeah, very, um, you know, so, yeah, some don't even have campgrounds at all, but some um, for sure only have, only a few have the hookups of the it, ones that have the campgrounds. It might have just come yeah. down to like the superintendent at this park had some extra right. money and said, let's, you know, let's throw in electric. All right. So let's give everyone right. the details here. You're going to, you're going to tell us all the campgrounds and what hookups they have, which is going to be awesomely useful. But before we do that, you do sort of have 10 tips for camping inside the national parks and finding these campgrounds and, and how to go about doing this. And these are great tips. So why don't we dive in and, and you, you kind of guide us as to what we're looking for here when we're camping inside national parks with hookups. So the first thing you'll figure out is that the National Park Service doesn't actually operate all of these campgrounds. Um, some are run by private concessionaires. So like you might enter the parks NPS website online and then have to click to agree to go to the concessionaires website. And just don't be kind of alarmed if you notice that. That just means that that concessionaire is servicing the park and it's still going to be within the national park. It's just that concessionaire sets the rules and the rates. And the, and the quality can vary. Um, so, you know, you might be at a national yeah. park like Badlands that has electrical hookups and the quality of the campground might be very different than, say, um, Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore or wherever it might be because you have different people operating them. Um, and sometimes, in some ways, it doesn't feel like a national park campground, depending on who's running it. But um, and then some, sometimes you'll have yeah. to leave the national park website, go on to the concessionaire's website and make reservations. And that's not like fake or phony. That's how it actually works. Right. Right. <laughs> right. That's the real deal. And it's really important to do that really early in your planning process, because as you can imagine, these national park campgrounds are super popular. So the reservation window is something you want to play pay close attention to because some of these might get reserved as soon as reservations open. Um, we haven't tried booking one in the years since 2020. Um, before 2020, we did book some national park campgrounds and maybe weren't too far out in advance. But um, nowadays, I think I would especially want to check it, try to check a year in advance if, um, if you can. So that was tip two, like national park camping is popular to begin with. Then you throw in hookups and RVers are like rabid dogs trying to, to book these sites, right? They're frothing <laughs> to get them because right. everyone wants to be in the, you know, in the beauty of the park and be able to run their air conditioning. Um, right. So what is, what is tip number three? So number three is that length limitations are quite common. So as you can imagine, you're entering a national park and that national park may not have great um, roadways and infrastructure for a 40, 50 foot rig. So um, do check the website very carefully to see not only if there's limitations for um, entering the park with your RV, but also what the limitations are within the campground and, and within certain sites. Like they will try to um, tell you the proper length, not only to make sure you fit in your campsite, but to make sure you can actually maneuver your RV into it. Yeah, and it gets complex because at, at certain campgrounds, every site could fit a different length. And you're going to have to literally look at site by site by site and see if you can fit. And then at the same time, these sites are being booked rapidly on any given morning. Um, so it gets right. super challenging. And, you know, a lot of these <laughs> national park campgrounds were built in the 40s and 50s. So they, they were not built at the time to accommodate 
the large RVs that are being built today. Though in some circumstances, uh, you, you can get larger RVs in there. You just, you don't want to show up and discover it's not going to work, right? You really got to figure it out beforehand. Right. Right. Okay, so like if you're booking Rocky, if you're booking Rocky Mountain National Park and you're going to be maneuvering your RV over um, Trail Ridge Road, for example, you kind of want to think about that because you're going to you're going to encounter some 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 different terrain. Yeah. And I just I think in general, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't bought your first RV yet and you want to be a national park RVer, you know, you're going to do better with a, a smaller RV under 30 feet. There's no magic number per se. Uh, but I'm always shocked at the number of people who buy really large RVs and then discover after the fact that they can't camp where they want to camp. So think through all of that uh, beforehand. Right. So what is our next tip? I believe we're on tip number five. Yeah. So another limitation um, really applies to those hybrid and um, soft-sided trailers. So in national parks, wildlife is obviously a consideration. Um, some park campgrounds do not allow hybrids or soft-sided RVs and tents at all. And some of them do allow you to um, be in there, but you have to be very careful with food storage. So they might even have bare boxes depending on how um, soft-sided your rig is. And then when we were in Glacier, there were campgrounds, uh, NPS campgrounds, that typically did allow in hybrids and pop-up campers, but they will then uh, shut down the uh, ability to do that if there's bear activity in the campground. So they might say all of a sudden, oh, you can't be in here with a pop-up camper or a tent, hard-sided RVs only. And then they send you to some overflow. They do really try to send you to another campground and accommodate you. And in Glacier, there's all these national forest campgrounds around and whatnot. Um, but that could be an unpleasant surprise yeah. for people, too, to show up and think they can camp there and then discover, oh, there's bear activity. I can't right. uh, set up my pop-up camper. Okay, what is our next tip? Another thing to think about is cell phone signal coverage. So inside some of our large national parks or inside our national parks with mountains um, and deep valleys, cell phone signal and Wi-Fi accessibility and speeds really, really vary. So there's going to be national parks where you're going to be able to work from your RV just fine. You'll have full cell signals and then others where the whole park is a dead zone. So like when we went to Yosemite, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but when we were in Yosemite, we could not use our phones um, within the park, as far as we found, until we got outside about 15, 20 minutes, there was a spot, a sweet spot between our campground and Yosemite because we were camping outside of the park and we would stop each day, do all of our communicating in this really scenic little parking lot that happened to have cell signal and then go to our campground um, that didn't. So even if you're staying outside of the park, you might not have cell coverage depending on where you are. On, on, when we went to Glacier, it was a dead zone in the park pretty much everywhere that we were. Yeah. But then um, West Glacier, KOA, had a really bad reception. Then the East Glacier way, KOA, yeah. it was great on the other side of the park. So it's, it's, it's kind of random. Great Smokies, uh, you can be in the middle of the park sometimes and get a cell signal, make a phone call. Um, so in other words, mm -hmm. I would almost plan on not having it and just be pleasantly surprised if you do, because I, there's not some resource online that's going to yeah. tell you every single place that you're going to get reception. Okay, what else do we need no, to know? But camp, um, one thing I 
one thing I didn't include in my article that I've since realized, Campendium and um, I think the recreation.gov or the reservation uh, Reserve America websites, some of them now are starting to put cell signal reviews for campgrounds. So you can at least look and see um, some of that I think is user generated. Some of that I think they use cell signal overlay maps. Um, so you can check on some of those resources and see if other travelers have um, reported that or if they have some of that data online or skim through the reviews to find out for sure. And of course, for the full-time digital oh, right. nomad, it's like, well, like Starlink too is obviously changing the game uh, if you need to work remotely. So go ahead. What's our next tip? Yeah. All right. Another one about accessibility. This was one that actually really affected our family that made us decide a lot of times to stay outside of the park, sometimes even when hookups were available. And that's um, that some campgrounds are so deep into a national park that you're not going to be uh, finding accessible restaurants and grocery stores. And we're kind of relaxed travelers. We're not the people who really load up on groceries and meal plan and think through all of that. So for us, we do kind of like to be in an area where we have that accessibility. Um, so just kind of think through that, think, and, or at least know going in, if you book in this national park, you may be 30, 40 minutes from a grocery store, an hour or more from a grocery store. So you really have to go in prepared to stay in camp with your necessities. We stayed outside of the park at Yellowstone, but we made sure to bring in snacks and a thermos with coffee because we weren't going to be getting <laughs> anything during the day because there's not, nothing around. And you're, you're also making me realize, Carrie, it can be quite pleasurable and, and really fun to stay outside of the parks too. You know, there's all kinds of right. good reasons to stay in the gateway towns to grab a nice meal at night after a day of hiking. But then the camp, I mean, the general rule is the campgrounds tend not to be as beautiful and they're a lot more right. expensive than the National Park Service campgrounds. So it's a give and a take. For new RVers, I think it's great to do a combo, you know, to go into the park for four or mm -hmm. five days and then stay outside at a KOA or private campground for four or five days or whatever it might be. And then have your full hookups mm -hmm. and dump your tanks and, and, you know, utilize restaurants and things like that a little bit more. Okay. What else do we need to know? Well, now we're getting to some pluses. I've had lots of limitations and drawbacks to some of these parks, but a plus is that if you're parking, um, camping within park boundaries, you are spared the traffic congestion that occurs at the entrance gates. We really noticed this at Grand Canyon National Park. We stayed in the park at Grand Canyon, and there was a point when we left um, to go get ice cream because it was like 110 and we were just melting. But we left and we noticed like the lines to get into the park were 20, 30 cars deep. So camping within the um, gates can really help add to your adventures because you're not having to go in and out every day and not getting stuck in any kind of con congestion. We've been to Acadia four times. Uh, with our RV, and now for the for the next time we do Acadia, I'm fairly determined to tent camp at Blackwoods inside the park, largely because I won't have to deal with the congestion getting into the park, and because I will be able to walk from my campsite to some of the best hikes in the park and not have to deal with the crowds again. So that is right. a major, major perk. Uh, any other positives? Yeah, and this is also a related tip. A lot of our national parks are now adding timed entry reservations. So you not only have to have camping reservations, you not only have to 
set up to pay to get into the park, but you might also be required to pick a time frame, usually like a two hour window that you plan to enter the park. So it's kind of challenging if you've never been to a national park and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to um, Rocky Mountain National Park. What time of day do I want to enter the park? So you have to really kind of think about that and make those um, timed reservations. However, if you're camping in the park, you can enter anytime and you don't have to mess with uh, those timed permits. And um, you do have to pay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You still have to pay the park entrance fees, but um, in addition to your camping fees, but at least you don't have to mess with that. Sorry. Okay. What else should we consider if we want to camp inside of national parks in NPS campgrounds before you actually tell us where the ones with hookups are? Sure. (laughs) One final tip, just always confirm the type of hookups for the specific campsite. So even though I'm talking about these campgrounds today, um, there may be loops within these campgrounds that do not have these hookups. So make sure you're looking very closely at what is available at your actual campsite. Sometimes it varies by the campground. Sometimes it's by loops within the campground. So not all sites have equal amenities. When you try to book these sites, which are hard to book, you need to spend time on the reservation websites beforehand. And and so that the morning you're going in to get your reservation, you, you know where everything is, you know what you're looking for, you know what loops have electric, what loops are dry camping. You know, you you need to do some work to get these, these sites, you know, you're not just picking up the phone and calling a campground with an owner that's going to direct you to the exact right spot. All right. Right. It's not probably like, (laughs) <laughs> as I say, it's not maybe as challenging as getting like Beyonce or Taylor Swift tickets, but it very well could be for some of these competitive parks. You have to know what you're doing. Get logged in, have a plan, go through the reservation. Even if you go through all the reservation steps without making a reservation so that you're not doing it fresh in the, you know, when reservations open for the most popular ones. And that can just give you comfort with the whole process. Now, some of the okay. national parks that have been the most popular campgrounds that are like impossible to book are ta- there's talk about moving to a lottery system, and I think they're even experimenting with it. And I, I am a big proponent of that. I think it makes it more fair. I mean, for goodness sake, you have hackers now, right, that are hacking into these websites mm-hmm. to get people, uh, you know, reservations at these popular places in Yosemite and Yellowstone, whatever it might be. So that's something we might see in the future where you just kind of put in the dates you want and then your name gets pulled out of a hat or doesn't get pulled out of a hat. But that could be the direction we go in. All right. We're going to come back in a second. And Carrie's going to break down all of the national park campgrounds with hookups. And she's going to talk about the ones with water, electric and sewer, then the ones with water and electric, and then the ones that just have electric hookups. There's not that many of them. I think it's going to surprise our listeners which ones do have them. But before we do that, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Camco. Camco is one of our favorite companies in the outdoor recreation industry. For more than 50 years, they have remained a trusted North Carolina-based manufacturer specializing in innovative products for the RV, marine, outdoor living, and outdoor recreation markets. You may know them best by their American-made Rhino sewer hoses, Taste Pure water filters, EvoFlex drinking water hoses, and TST toilet chemicals, but their lineup of products doesn't end there. Camco continues to deliver products that bridge the gap between you and your next adventure. From portable grills and campfires to ease lift hitches and power grip electrical adapters, they seem to be doing it all. There's a saying that if you 
own an RV, you are sure to own a Camco product or two, and it's true. This spring, we are stocking up our brand new RV with go-to Camco products like their collapsible laundry basket and their life is better at the campsite dishes and mugs. Head on over to CampcoOutdoors.com to check out all of the cool stuff that Camco makes and get 10% off your entire order with our discount code RVAtlas10. That's CampcoOutdoors.com and use discount code RVAtlas10 for 10% off your entire order today. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with Carrie Cox from Travels with Birdie, and she's walking us through an article that she wrote for Campendium.com, which I've never seen anybody actually put this information together before. This is fantastic. And Carrie's going to just tell us which national parks have campgrounds with hookups. So let's start with the holy trinity of water, electric, and sewer. So Carrie, tell us which national parks have (laughs) campgrounds that have water, electric, and sewer. And new RVers out there listening, you need to understand that some national parks have 20 campgrounds, okay? So we're just talking about the single specific campground that might have hookups. We're not saying that all of the campgrounds in Yellowstone or wherever it might be have hookups. So, Carrie, we both love Yellowstone. Why don't you take us there? Sure. So as a former librarian, this was the kind of data that I love digging and digging through and looking up. And so let's look at Yellowstone. Fishing Bridge Campground is um, just now reopened after three years of extensive renovations. And I believe part of those reservation renovations were improving campsite quality as well as hookups. So now there are 310 full hookup sites. And the nice thing about Fishing Bridge is it's kind of right in the middle of Yellowstone. Yellowstone is one of those parks that's so gigantic that when you stay outside of the park gates, you have to be pretty strategic and thinking about which parts of the park you can easily access. But if you stay at Fishing Bridge, you can easily access all of the park because it's right in the middle. That's a, that's a really great point. You know, like if you're staying in West Yellowstone, like Lamar Valley is really, really far away. Um, Fishing Bridge really is the most central campground. And maybe that's why it's sort of this camping village with all of these sites. Because if you're just staying at one place, th- this would be a good choice. And it's a beautiful part of the park, too. Not that there's any parts right. of the park that, are, that aren't beautiful. 310 full hookup sites is gigantic. Uh, if any of our listeners have been there um, recently, if it's even reopened yet, um, let us know. Let us know what it's looking like at Fishing Bridge Campground. Now, is that one of the ones, too, that only allows hardwalled? campers and not pop-up campers i'm not 100 yeah, percent sure on that but that could be true i know in uh grand teton national park which neighbors um yellowstone in case you're not i know you're familiar but i know not everybody else might be um we did have bear bears come through our campground there because we stayed in the park in grand tetons and for sure had bears so they very well might have certain limitations that's a good one to check all right, let's take us to a campground that, if my memory serves me correctly, I think you reviewed for us here on the RV Atlas uh, many yeah. years ago now. Take us to the Grand Canyon and let us know what our option is there for full hookups inside the campground, inside the park. One of my friends had told me about this wonderful experience her family had staying at the Trailer Village RV Park in Grand Canyon, where they woke up and walked to the rim of the Grand Canyon to watch the sunrise one morning. And so I booked Trailer Village with the visions of my family doing this. We did not get up and walk to the rim to watch the sunrise, but you could. 
So that's a really cool feature of the Trailer Village RV Park. Um, another feature, they do have elk that wander through the site. So you'll see pictures. We have pictures of our own where the elk are. I was outside reading one day and one just came upon me and <laughs> jilted me. Um, so you do have to kind of watch out for them. Not as scary maybe as bears, but they definitely are there to be aware of um, wandering through the park. And they definitely add to the experience. Now, is that one of these national park uh, concessionaire run campgrounds? It's a bit like a parking lot with small sites, or is it kind of pretty? What What's it actually like there? I feel like kind of 50-50. The sites are pretty close together. There's not a ton of trees, but like you you're just so close to everything else in the park that your own campsite isn't set amid the beauty but you are really close like just you know less than a mile um or half a mile on the trails the other cool thing is they do have trails um, that you can walk from the from right directly from the campground and there's internal shuttles so again even if you're not in the most beautiful park you are at least super accessible to getting to it and your gateway town here is Williams, which is 45 minutes to an hour away. I mean, it's not like Great Smokies or, or Yellowstone where you leave the park and all of a sudden there's some cool gateway town there. there there's nothing right outside yeah. the park, right? Yeah. And we stayed late one evening because they were doing a star walk, star tour, where all these uh, um, astronomers had brought in the big um, telescopes. And I don't know if we were staying outside of the park, if we would have felt as comfortable or as eager to do that. You know, so it was really nice because we were able to do our daytime stuff, go back to our RV, rest, have dinner, and then do the evening stuff without uh, having to drive quite so far to a campground outside. It seems for the Grand Canyon, that's pretty pivotal to have that campground there. And, and obviously, it's really hot, right? I mean, so to have an electric hookup and be able to run your air conditioning is, is pretty clutch there. So we both love right. Grand Teton National Park. Um, and your early mm -hmm. podcasts about Grand Teton certainly inspired me to get my butt there and, and helped us enjoy yeah. our time in Grand Teton. <laughs> so talk to us about Coulter Bay RV Park and give us a tip so that we don't accidentally book the wrong campground. Okay. So Coulter Bay is super cool because it's right on the lake shore of Jackson Lake. So you can walk out of your RV, be at this gorgeous lake with views of the Tetons surrounding it. Um, and it's also just super close for enjoying everything in the park. You do have to be careful because there's also a Coulter Bay campground, which does not have the hookups. So you have to book the RV park if you want the hookups. And this park, like you asked me with Grand Canyon, this one I thought was actually pretty scenic. Even though your sights aren't huge, um, there, there were a lot of trees. And again, you can just walk right down to the lake. So I felt like our site was really pretty, you know, for being in a park. And I, I felt like I was in the National Park at my site, for sure. Yeah, that, the whole Coulter Bay Village area is really cool. There's good food there. You can grab a Starbucks, not from a Starbucks, but from yes. like the, the local market <laughs> has like a little Starbucks stand. So if you want the hookups, you want Coulter Bay RV Park, if you end up in Coulter Bay Campground, you can still bring an RV there, but you're you're dry camping without hookups. And they're both right. right next door to each other, basically, right? In Coulter right. Bay. Yeah, they share, all, they share all those amenities. So like, I think we didn't have Wi-Fi or cell at our campsite, but we went to the laundry room and we were able to get, I think maybe they had park Wi-Fi when we were there that we could get at the, at the um, laundry facility, which was kind of nice. And Jackson Lake is gorgeous, right? I mean, maybe Jenny Lake is more yeah. gorgeous, but Jackson Lake is gorgeous too. It's almost ridiculous to compare right. them. 
Okay, so let's next go to Hot Springs National Park. And this kind of might be an outside-the-box location to think of for National Park camping at all, but you also get hookups here. Right, so Hot Springs is a national park in Arkansas, and it's really one of the more urban national parks. It um, protects um, some parts of this scene of this historic bathhouse row because it's one of those parks where they had um, spring waters. People would go there for for baths and massages and that kind of things. Um, but there are some natural, you know, forests and natural features that are preserved. And the Gulf of Gorge Campground is really scenic. We drove through it. We have never stayed there because they didn't previously um, allow reservations. And we live just far enough away that we can't drive down there to see if we have um, a site available. But now it looks like they are offering reservations and they have full hookups. So definitely on my list of places I want to revisit and stay in. Um, This one runs along. I think there's a little creek. And so for being an urban park, it's pretty. Yeah, that's a really beautiful, beloved, popular National Park campground, for sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So Big Bend National Park. I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> you're in a pretty remote location, so getting some hookups there sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, so the Rio Grande Village RV Park. Um, it says this is another one where there is also a campground without hookup. So you have to make sure to look for the RV park. Um, and this is the only full hookup in Big Bend. And so as you were saying in your last um, podcast, well, maybe not the last one, depending on when this plays, but Texas is big and Big Bend is very remote in Texas. So being able to stay right in the park um, probably makes things really easier than um, venturing out. But um it puts you right close to the beauty. I know I have a friend who loves Big Ben and says it's her favorite national park, but we haven't been there a little far for us yet. And again, just awesome to have full hookups when if you're there when it's really hot, which, of course, it gets really hot. And yes, Big Ben National Park is in what I call far Texas. Right. Uh, and those again, I think <laughs> right. those are right across the street from each other. So don't book the wrong place. And the the places where you make these reservations, like reservation.gov or, you know, wherever the National Park Service takes you to, I think it's recreation.gov or whatever it is, um, they do have good breakdowns of each site, okay, in terms of what size RV can fit and what hookups you're getting. Just don't rush through the process of, of making the reservation and, and make a mistake. All right. So let's go to another uh, national park that has a campground with full hookups. I am noticing a little bit of a theme of some of the hot parks. Right. Maybe, hookups, maybe which, that's which the theme I, theme I didn't sense. notice. Yeah. People want to run their air conditioners to go there. Right. So Death Valley National Park, which we did a whole episode with Lauren Eber last year. Um, remind us yeah. which campground there has full hookups. Or this has multiple so campgrounds. They actually have, yeah, they have three with hookups. Um, Furnace Creek, Stovepipe Wells Village RV Park and Panamint Springs Resort. Um, So there's like 3.5 million acres is a big park. There's quite a few campgrounds, but these are the three where you can get hookups and you will want them. We um, broke down and had a flat tire. No, we weren't crossing Death Valley. We were crossing the Mojave Desert, sorry. (laughs) But um, same difference, probably very similar environment. And we, yeah, we we had a a flat tire in, in the heat and I would definitely want my air conditioning if I were staying in in Death Valley. And Death Valley is a place. Oh, look too at those that, views. Yeah. 
um, um, they, there's a lot of good options for camping inside the park. And there's also some good options outside of the park as well. If you want full hookups, you want somewhere there's a pool or something like that. There's a real camping culture in and around uh, Death Valley. Okay, so now we are not talking anymore about water, electric, and sewer. Okay, so now we're going to move to national park campgrounds that just have water and electric. And, and I think probably in most situations, a dump station. Uh, so you don't need sewer at your site. So um, let's go to Acadia National Park. And this is one of my five favorite campgrounds in the country. Which one there yeah. do we want to look at? Yes, I have I have heard you wax poetic. Is that how the phrase goes? Wax poetic about Scudic Woods Campground many times. And so it lives in my imagination, things from your description. And there are 94 spacious scenic campsites and as you pointed out this is a fairly new park and received like pretty heavy investment it seems like and so that's part of the reason why this is such a standout national park um, with the water and electric hookups yeah i loved it so much because to me it's like a blueprint for what a modern nps campground should look like now what's interesting was this land was going to be developed I, that was adjacent to the Scudic Woods section of Acadia National Park, which is further north than the Mount Desert Island section. So this land was going to be developed. There, I don't know, put condos there, whatever it was. And some private citizen bought the land, built the campground, and then handed it over and donated it to the National Park Service. And people say it might have been Stephen King. People say it might have been the founder of, of Burt's Bees, I think. Um, there's different names that get thrown around, but somebody or a group of somebody's did not want to see this land get developed, and they built a beautiful modern NPS campground that can fit the big rigs, that has large, beautiful private sites uh, sculpted into the the beautiful smelling pine trees. They're really an, an an amazing, amazing place. I can't wait to get back there. Okay, so now makes- let's jump. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, that makes me think of like the golden age of the wealthy, like the Carnegie's and the Vanderbilt's, like these people didn't put their name on it, but that's that kind of stuff you would just love to see more of, of that, that development and that investment in our nation. Like when I, too, when I go around, um, sometimes we stop at Carnegie libraries just because they're so unique and it's neat to see um, people who have the resources just giving back in that way that creates centuries of enjoyment. Yeah, a park ranger at Scudic told me that only one person knows the name of the donor, which I don't know if that's true, but mm. it could be. <laughs> and that was the, the superintendent yeah. of Acadia National Park at that time. Uh, so it's a well-kept secret. Yeah. Now let's hop to the other side of the country uh, to my favorite national park in the country, yeah. Olympic National Park. What are our options here? And again, we're talking about water and electric sites at a National Park Service campground. So I don't know if I'll say this right since I haven't been there, but is it Solduck Hot Springs? I believe that. I, be, and been, I have been there, and I'm 99% sure <laughs> right. you're right. Yeah, Solduck. Oh, my. Well, hopes up. Solduck Hot Springs RV, Hot Springs Resort, RV Park, and Campground has water and electric sites um, in Olympic. And I've also heard so much um, good stuff about Olympic from you. So that's definitely on our list of places we want to visit. Yeah, that one's in a great location. It is kind of like that parking lot kind of campground, but, you know, so your site's not going to be nice, but you can walk five minutes away and be on a gorgeous trail out to a waterfall. And Max Mm -hmm. and Theo, despite the powerful smell of sulfur, 
loved the hot <laughs> springs there. But we all loved the hot springs there. Really yeah. cool uh, part of our Olympic National Park trip. So that's an, that's another good one. I right, have a couple more campgrounds left. These are going to be campgrounds in the national park system that only have electric hookups inside national parks. Uh, but before we talk about these last few, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Go RVing. Go RVing's website, GoRVing.com, is packed with all of the information you need to get started and go RVing. Check out Go RVing's Get Started tab to find information from real RVers about buying an RV, renting an RV, finding a campground, and a comprehensive first-timers toolkit. The Buying an RV section includes a complete guide to buying a new RV and tips for visiting national parks. The Renting an RV section explores your options for trying before buying. The Finding a Campground section lets you search for campgrounds by state. The first-timers toolkit is a robust set of blog posts and how-to videos that will turn you into an expert RVer in no time at all. Go RVing's Get Started tab is packed with the content you need to become a more experienced RVer and have fun doing it. And this is just a small sample of the content you will find there. To find out more, head on over to GoRVing.com. Our family has been staying at Jellystone Park locations for 12 years. There are more than 75 Jellystone Park locations across the United States and Canada, and each one is unique, but our kids love them all because each Jellystone Park location has fun attractions like pools, water slides, splash grounds, mini golf, laser tag, and jumping pillows. Plus, there are tons of activities all day and all night long, such as foam parties, dance parties, wagon rides tie-dye, and movie nights. They even have themed weekends like Chocolate Lovers Weekend, Christmas in July, and Halloween weekends in the fall. Of course, we can't forget the fun of hanging out with Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and Cindy Bear. And at Jellystone Park, you can stay in your RV or enjoy one of their awesome glamping accommodations as many of their locations offer luxury cabins, yurts, covered wagons, and more. Make Jellystone Park a part of your family's vacation in 2023 because it's not just a campground. It's a Jellystone Park. To learn more and to book your vacation today, visit JellystonePark.com. That's JellystonePark.com. And please, don't forget to tell Yogi Bear that Jeremy and Stephanie said hello. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm here with Carrie Cox from TravelsWithBirdie.com. And we're talking about national parks with hookups of some kind. And there are other National Park Service campgrounds out there but for, that have hookups, you know, like Sleeping Bear Dunes comes to mind. But Carrie's article just focused on ones in, in actual national parks, designated national parks. And there's just not too many of them. So we did water, electric, and sewer. Then we did campgrounds with water and electric. Now we're just looking at campgrounds that have electric hookups. So Carrie, take us to Florida. Yeah, so I haven't been to this one, but Everglades National Park's Flamingo Campground, um, where you might actually see some flamingos. So that's kind of cool. And it earns good reviews for having spacious sites and having those um, electric hookups. Just be prepared to ward off mosquitoes, which is probably true for much of Florida. Oh my God! And I think particularly in the uh, in the Everglades, absolutely yeah. bring like bring the very powerful DEET there for goodness' sake. Um, now take us to Badlands National Park, and this is one that 
uh, Stephanie and I and the boys have stayed at and one that you almost stayed at. Um, so tell us which uh, campground almost. this is. And, and it's been years since you've told the story. So tell us which campground you're talking about right. and tell us why you didn't stay there, even though you almost did. Right. So we're talking about Cedar Pass Campground at Badlands National Park. And actually, I think seeing the pictures of this campground on online was what made me even think we needed to stop at the Badlands. Like it just wasn't on my radar. I saw this campground, realized, oh, my gosh, the Badlands are amazing. We must go there and we need to stay at this campground. So I made reservations. Um, but when we arrived, we didn't have our reservations. So I don't know if I made the mistake or I don't know. I probably I did. <laughs> I don't know. But um, the reservations had actually accidentally been made for the day I was booking them instead of for the day we were arriving. So we arrived at Badlands with no place to stay. Luckily, there was a lovely KOA just outside of the park. Um, but if you can stay in Cedar Pass, like the KOA was nice. Like it had full hookups, had beautiful setting. Like it was nice, but you can't see the actual Badlands um, structures from there. So from Cedar Pass, um, we drove through it and it was just like, it seemed like everybody was coming outside of their trailers, outside of their RVs to walk around the edge of the campground and watch the sunset and looked pretty magical. The location is gorgeous. I mean, like actually technically speaking, the campground's like a hot mess. Like the sites aren't level. <laughs> the bathrooms are among the filthiest. Look, we were there a few years ago now. Maybe they've, maybe they've cleaned right. up. The bathrooms were kind of dirty. A lot of areas were flooded, but it was awesome, you know, like because you are just <laughs> surrounded by the magnificence of, of the Badlands and you just look out the window of your RV and have that amazing view. And of course, it was hot there. So having the electric hookup was um, was pretty awesome. We had rented a smaller RV for that trip. And while there were many big RVs there, um, the sites were a little tough to get into. So I would take take a little bit of caution if you're going there with a the, with the big RV. Okay, so that was Badlands National Park. Um, now let's go to the world-famous Black Canyon of the Gunnison <laughs> National Park, which, if I remember correctly, correspondent uh, Shelley Bailey Shaw said is um, one of her least favorite national parks. Shelley, correct me if I'm wrong. You can shoot me an email. But they actually have a campground with electric hookups. So tell us about this one. <clears throat> they do. And as much as we love Colorado, we have not yet made it to the Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park. But their South Rim, Rim Campground does have hookups and um, looks pretty sweet in the picture there. So oh, it has dark skies for dark skies for stargazing. So maybe if, if you're not impressed with the geological features, you at least get to see the stars at night. I'm not saying that's how I feel about Black Canyon yeah. of the Gunnison, but I think it certainly <laughs> flies under the radar of a lot of people. I'm sure it's absolutely awesome and it's got all kinds of amazing stuff. Yeah. So our last campground uh, with hookups is in Zion National Park. So tell us about this one. Right. And I think some of your episodes that you had on Zion uh, mentioned this, uh, the Zion Park's Watchmen Campground you really feel like you're camping at, at Zion because you do see the famous Red Rocks. I, I think the sites might be tight if I'm remembering correctly, but again, it's one of those ones where you're there, you're in the middle of the action. Um, your site may not be the world's best, but you are super accessible and can see at sunrise and sunset those glowing rocks. So that's a pretty unique experience. And I, the Virgin River runs through it too. So that sounds pretty cool as well. Hard to book and just a magnificent, magnificent park and a magnificent campground. 
So after you wrote this article, uh, and you, you know, you've been to some of these campgrounds and some you're researching for the article, like what's the top campground here on your personal bucket list for you to visit and get a Ooh. campsite with hookups in a national park? I hardly go with one I've already visited and that would be the Grand Teton National Park. Like I just love my mountains, love the Tetons. We had a misadventure there when our alternator went out in our car. We only had three days in the park and our car was broken down from for one of them. So that's one of the places I'd like to visit again and just loved that whole camping experience. Um, but for when I haven't tried Gulf of Gorge, I think for sure I would like to get down there because that does look pretty cool. You know, I could go back to Grand Tetons tomorrow, and and this will rub somebody the wrong way. I could totally go back to Grand Tetons and, like, not necessarily have to go back to Yellowstone, which is not a knock on Yellowstone yeah. um, at all. Yellowstone's amazing, um, but my heart kind of is call, like calls me back to Grand Tetons. <laughs> uh, I feel like yeah. I just, there's more I want to see and more I want to do and more more hikes I want to do. and just kind of like that feeling of your heart yeah. at peace in a location. Um, that's certainly how I felt there. So I, I would love to return to that one too, in terms of, of, of places that, that we've been. And um, Stephanie and I have not been to Utah in like 20 years. So uh, I would, I would love to get back to Utah. So Carrie, uh, thank you so yeah. much. Anybody who wants to um, check out this list again, go to the rvatlas.com. And for this one, I'm basically just going to link to the article on campendium.com where Carrie did this article with all of these great campgrounds and there's links to all the campgrounds. So Carrie, it's a terrific resource. Thank you for putting it yeah. together for Campendium and thank you for coming on the RV Atlas. Tell everybody where we can follow you and your RV adventures. Yeah. So you can find me at Travels with Birdie on Instagram and hope to be putting up some camping photos within the next few weeks as we finally get to venture out after a long winter. And then um, my blog is travelswith30.com. It's not super up to date because I've been writing things like this. So that's that's um, fun research. Um, but I definitely need to get get some of my own but your travels with birdie.com your blog does have a lot of really good it travel does. content yeah. <laughs> it would be it's pretty timeless Thanks. i mean like if you want to read about right. grand tetons and yellowstone rocky mountains national park i mean you did hit on a lot of major yes. places there and you should get your blog freshened up with some new yeah, content I, I know i know it can be hard but <laughs> yes. i love your photography and I, I love your writing um right. so definitely Thank and you. i i'm going to invite you back on the show this season of course so we will definitely hear from carrie cox again thank you so much appreciate your time and hopefully we'll see you, you at the campground carrie thank you see ya take care thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the rv atlas to find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to thervatlas.com. And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas. If you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And we will see you at the campground. See you at the campground.